uh, you know, I'm I'm convinced that the the guys on my watch probably saved my life because that was probably my safe place. That was my consistent place. But equally, I wasn't appreciative of the effects that I was having. You know, I was, I was you know, I'll quite openly admit that I was being rude to members of the public. Now, that's totally out of character for me. Firefighters play a crucial role in protecting the community from danger. They regularly put themselves in harm's way to save lives, but we don't often talk about what happens when physical and mental health create roadblocks to their work. So when they experience problems, the Firefighters Charity are there to help, alongside support from Hampshire and Isle of Wight Fire and Rescue. Here with me today are two firefighters, Stu Vince and Kevin Page, who have both experienced the mental and physical effects of their jobs. We also have Sharon Bailey from the Firefighters Charity who spends her time developing the support services that Stu and Kevin have received in the past few years. We're set up in a comfortable room in Winchester Fire Station for this, so we're hoping the crew downstairs don't get a shout whilst we record. So let's start with mental health. Stu, I know that your mental health changed because of your selfless decision to have surgery to donate your kidney to a family friend. Are you happy to give us a run through of what happened? Yeah, of course I am. Um, so yeah, so in 2011, I uh, was fortunate enough to donate a kidney to a close personal friend. Um, as a result of that surgery, um, I started developing quite significant um, hallucinations, I suppose is the best word. They started the day after the surgery where uh, my mental health took a huge dip in that I started suffering pretty regular panic attacks. Um, and it kind of culminated in around about two fifty, uh, 2015 when I had a kind of a mental breakdown. There's an accumulation of lots of things going on in my life. My grandfather passing away, my marriage breaking down, um, the effects of the kidney. I, I started. To, I was getting lots of images of the Grim Reaper that happened post-surgery, um, which was pretty scary. Um, and all that stuff kind of, like I say, culminated um, in 2015 and resulted in a breakdown where for pretty much three months I couldn't leave the house. Wow. It's pretty heavy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, how did you initially react? Because, I mean, was your first port of call to, to your first thought to say, like, I need to talk to somebody about it? Or did you try and suppress it? Um, yeah. So I, I probably went very much within myself. And I, it, I can remember it was one evening. I can't remember the exact date in 2015, but sat on the edge of the bed. Um, I was supposed to be going on a trip away to play golf with my friends and literally couldn't leave the house, just broke down in floods of tears and my other half, Rach, just said, look, we need to get you some help. So when I saw the doctor the following day, um, work obviously referred me to the occupational health service um, within the within the organisation. And then I contacted the Firefighters Charity um, and received really good care down at um, Littlehampton Marine Corps. Had two weeks down there, which was absolutely fantastic. I was kind of in what I like to say, a bubble of like-minded people. Right. Um, and, the, and the support was brilliant, really, really good. What did that support include? Can you talk us through what? So, what because it was a little bit different from the previous time when I went down there, when I had the physical injury I was recovering from, in that when I was there, there was nothing physically as such wrong with me. So from an exercise perspective, exercise is a really good kind of key part of my life to keep my mental health really good. Um, but during that time, even that had dropped right off. So actually going back there, and I speak to people quite often about this. You're almost treated like a professional athlete when you're at one of the centres because you know your, your nutrition sorted out for you, your your exercise program sorted out for you, and you get the support from a mental health perspective as well. So because there was nothing wrong with me, I absolutely got 
smashed to pieces in the gym by the trainers, <laughs> which was <laughs> which was great for me because that's probably what I needed. And that 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 physical therapy was probably one of the best parts of my recovery, to be honest, and set me on the road to kind of continued recovery once I'd left the centre. Um, the only thing for me, like I said before, I was in that bubble. And then when I left the charity, kind of a lot of the issues that I was having prior to going down there were still there. Paid out myself for... Um, I had uh, hypnotherapy, which I think probably stopped the images coming because it was affecting my partner as well uh -huh. massively because I would wake up with these images, kind of take it out on her, and quite regularly she'd go to work crying as a result of that. So it really affected kind of the whole family. Yeah. Um, and, and probably the biggest thing I've learned is, and, and it's I think this is a struggle probably for people who are suffering with mental health to to kind of appreciate, is that the most important person in my life is me because if I'm not functioning properly, the realization for me was that it affected everybody around with me. Yeah, really horrific time, but I think the charity probably set me on the road to recovery. Uh -huh. As I say, with that physical and mental support, it's a really good point that you make about the fact that you're, you're supporting others. I mean, you're, from a work perspective, you're. I mean, I don't know what rank you were at that point, what role you were. Uh, you I was watch in. manager then. Yeah, watch manager, and then you have family at home. I think people do forget. The, or, or pretend that like I just need to just carry on because I've got to support these people. Mm. But if you don't, if you're not in the best place, yeah. you're just not going to be able to do it. No, not at all. And uh, you know, I'm I'm convinced that the the guys on my watch probably saved my life because that was probably my safe place. That was my consistent place. But equally, I wasn't appreciative of the effects that I was having. You know, I was I was you know I quite openly admit that I was being rude to members of the public. Now, that's totally out of character for me. Um, yeah. And, and something I didn't even realise. Uh, I, I realised what I was doing in my private life, like upset, upsetting people there and very much shutting myself away. But even though I thought my safe place was work, and I do stand by that, I think they saved my life, those those individuals on that watch. But I didn't probably realise the effect that I was having on them mm -hmm. as well. So, yeah, it's interesting looking back, but but I, 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 I'm very glad it happened to me. And that seems very, very strange because it's made me realise that actually I can become a better person as a result of what happens to that and hopefully help other people, you know, doing things like this, yeah. help other people to recognise that it's all right to talk about that stuff. Do you find that you can spot similar issues in other oh, people totally. now as well? Yeah, totally. And it's it's very interesting because I, I have these conversations with with my peers, with, you know, I've even spoken to Neil Oden, you know, the chief about this sort of stuff as well. And, and it's very interesting. You can notice similar traits in other people, but at that time when they're going through it, they probably can't recognise it. Yeah. In the same way, I'm sure I was exactly the same at the time. Uh -huh. You were saying that you chose to contact the firefighters charity. Yeah. Um, was that just something that you did? Did someone prompt you? What made um, you do so it? I, I mean, obviously I was aware of the charity because I've already been down to Harkham House um, post-surgery. Um, so I was fully aware of that. And I think when I, when I hit that low spot, like when I say that, that breakdown in 2015, I think I was very aware that the charity were there to support me, but my line manager at the time was really supportive as well. Um, and obviously Rachel, my partner, was was very aware that I'd been down there previously and she said, look, why don't you phone him again? And actually, it's very easy to get in touch, Sharon, in it with the charity. Just pick up the phone, speak to him, you get the assessment straight away and, and they kind of do it all for you. Right. So it's, the thing for me is I think, you know, and I, and I, I mean, in the last couple of days, I've been talking to some colleagues and saying, look, utilize the charity you know now post-covid we're coming out this stuff so the centers are starting to reopen get in touch with them um and i think there's almost there's almost a bit of a stigma attached because the people don't feel that they're either not ill enough to use the centers or they feel like 
they're not deserving of it. And, and that's so not the case. So I think it's important to encourage people to, you know, pick up the phone and, and speak to Jerry. Yeah, that was something you mentioned as well, wasn't it, Sharon, when we spoke to you previously? Yeah, I think what we tend to find is, exactly as Stu said there, people leave it till last minute to pick the phone up and ask for help. And actually, come to us earlier because we can support you and move forward. And actually, sometimes it is late and people are in crisis when they call us and we don't want that to happen. We want to try and stop, put them on the right support pathway earlier on. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, get, getting through to that point where you kind of you're breaking and it's it's put too much whether it is physical or mental um the sooner you do put your hand up and say i need help mm. um, and i think Stu's example is that's how it happens as an accumulation of things that build up yeah. and then it's really really difficult to actually say i need some help and everybody else around you sees it but you've got to want to be able to access that help as well. Um, but it does, it builds up. But everything you said around sort of the support network, looking after your physical health, your psychological health and your social well-being is critical to your recovery. Yeah, totally agree with that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, <clears throat> do you think that there's, in terms of this, the stigma of talking about mental health and addressing those particular issues, because obviously with a physical like, like pretty much everyone says you can see it it's something you can explain if there is something that is mental it's, it's invisible you almost can't you almost feel like you've got to justify or overcompensate do you feel that there's that's still difficult for some people to come forward whether i mean i don't know if it's more true of men than women still i mean i know it was for a while maybe it's just the same across the board i don't know but do you find that that's still an issue I think it's improved significantly. What we used to find going back many, many years is people would come to us with a physical reason and then actually when you unpicked that, that wasn't the problem. It was more psychological health that was causing the issue. Now we're seeing the, our increasing number of people accessing psychological support. That's gone up significantly. Um, I think the biggest challenge is that thing, exactly as Stu said there, that People often look and they might see something maybe on the website and think, I'm not as bad as that, so I'll leave that space for somebody else. Um, so that's the biggest challenge for me. I think the stigma is improving. I think definitely people are talking about mental health a lot more and it's within the conversations and you know part of what we do within the charity. But it's actually recognising that you don't have to be as bad as that. Actually seek that support early on. Uh -huh. People talk regularly um, about the closeness of, of station and about that dynamic, how that works. And it is almost people reference family quite a lot. It's yeah. like a second family. Do you find that that's, that's a part of what, the part of that openness uh, that helps bring that openness when you try and talk about this stuff that's very personal? I'd say so. Um, I've suffered with depression since 20, 2012 now, um, being treated for it. Um, the watch is aware of it and like Stu said when you talk to the watch the amount of people that come forward and say I feel that I feel that and it, and it is getting better we've got mental health first aiders now at work and um, I found when I was going through my real low point going to work was that was, that was my safe space yeah I felt safe at work and I can touch I can touch on what Stu said about leaving that house I've had times where I've been petrified to leave the house but to go to work, I felt I felt valued and safe there, and I think we are more open about it now. I, personally, I've not used a charity for mental health reasons. I've, I've 
I've kept that separate, um, but it definitely was something I would consider. As you're surrounded by people that are probably the only people that can understand yes. what yeah. you experience yeah. As, yeah. A, you know, as a job, for yeah. one thing. Um, <clears throat> do you find that there's, this may not be the case, but do you find, I mean, partly from a managerial role, that, there's, that you're at this level where you should be capable of just getting on with it, or even from the perspective of being um, a, a firefighter um, and being considered like that, that, the typical idea of what a firefighter is, that strong, unflappable character, um, that that can put some people off asking for help? Or do you find that's not really a thing anymore? I think so. In the past, that was the, the perception. You, you know, you, you're big, you're strong, you're tough. But we have got better nowadays. We know the support networks are there and people aren't afraid to, to come forward and say they're struggling. I mean, I'd, I'd quite openly talk to my station manager now about I'm struggling and and, and, and I know that he would put the, the support network in, in place for me. Um, so I think like Stu said, it's the help's there. You just got to ask for it. Yeah. Don't, don't be embarrassed. It's, it isn't nothing to be embarrassed about mental health and if you're struggling, times are changing. Yeah, times for, are for the better. Yes. I think so. For the better. I think yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. yeah, you know, if you if you're feeling stressed, you know, if you're if you're finding things a challenge, then 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 talk about stuff. Get in touch with people, and and that's where the charity can really come in and play. And I can't I can't really bang on enough about the fact that pick up the phone and speak to someone because even if you just even that first initial assessment is a real time to decompress and it was a real eye-opener for me personally that when I used Littlehampton when I had that telephone assessment for 30-40 minutes I can't remember the name of the guy who phoned me back but I spoke about everything and he paused for a few minutes and said I can't even believe you're still with us let alone coming here for chat because I'd spoke about everything that I had going on and it was the first time I kind of verbalized it all um, and to sit back and, and have someone on the end of the phone that recognized that with that in itself was a a great support to me yeah we've um from the development side of things from the charity we've built on that because i think you're absolutely right i think people when they have that first conversation everything comes tumbling out but that's actually it's quite cathartic to yeah, be able yeah, to absolutely. do that so when people call our 0800 number now they speak to an assessment practitioner who will have that conversation with them and try and sort of understand what their needs are and the best way to support them whether that's through our charitable services or whether that's sort of signposting them onto other organisations but that first conversation is is key oh, it's a hard conversation to yeah. have um, but once you've had that conversation you do feel better already yeah. but it sounds like as well what we were saying about whether or not someone feels they should contact the charity I mean that initial conversation it's going to let them know that's it. I think just sometimes for some people, just even having that initial conversation is enough. And we've seen that already. We've had people ring up and actually by the time they've had a 20, 30 minute conversation with our assessment practitioners, we've given them some guidance on support to access. Doesn't always necessarily mean people need a residential stay or they need some sort of therapeutic intervention. It's just about being able to talk about the difficulties you're facing. And actually just that thing of talking about them helps you start to process it for some people that's just enough that conversation um it is a hard one to have though it is difficult mm. yeah, it is but it's it's um it's really good to know again that the charity's there i mean in terms of the the physical side of it um kevin i, I know you've had a, a football injury that caused um because you put your firefighting career on hold for a, a few years a few years ago sorry um can you talk through what happened yeah, so it was a it was a football related injury. I 
I uh, ruptured my cruciate ligament um, and had to have major surgery on my knee. So I was off for a number of months and not knowing whether I'd, I'd work in the fire service again, being a physically demanding job. And and the, I, I still to this day believe the firefighters charity saved my career um, with the help that they've, they've given me over the last few years. I've been down to Marine Corps for four weeks combined over the years. Um, and like, like Stu said, you are treated almost like an athlete down there. You're, you're, you're told when to exercise, when to rest, when to eat. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm forever thankful for them, really. I mean, that's the thing. You're doing an intensely physical job. Um, there's probably pressures on, on your body, regardless of any, any external injury you, you might receive doing yeah, and the, the big the big one for me was going back to the mental health of the injury because Stu touched on it again earlier. You've you, you've got your family to support and yeah. you think I'm not working because of the injury and so you you start spiraling and you start you start getting low and they picked me up for all of that and yeah, it's a great team. Great Brilliant. Team. It's interesting, isn't it? Like Kev, Kev was there, you know, as I was back in 2012 for the for the for the physical injury, but you still receive. That psychological support as well while you're there, so irrelevant of of, of issue with this specifically because you've got a mental health injury. If you've got the physical aspect, then you still get that as well. So it's it's, it's really well thought out. Yeah. I think there's a lot of other training. I mean, we've done um, we've done some lectures every day, and only one lecture a day. And we've done lectures on sleep, uh, nutrition, caring for yourself, giving yourself the time of the day just just to sit down and have twenty minutes to yourself, and how important it is and Things like that, I'd never, I'd never even consider. Yeah, I'd never even consider sitting down for an hour in a lecture room talking about sleep. <laughs> um, I never knew I had any problem sleeping, but they they teach you how to to, to de de stress your life and really, really good. Yeah. That sounds like something everyone should be sitting through. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, think so. <laughs> I, know, I know. At the end of the day, when I was down at Marine Corps, I don't know if it's still part of the course, but used to kind of do this. Mind mindfulness at the end of the day, where you lay on a mat and it, you know yeah. listen to this kind of weird music and <laughs> and lay there and someone's talking to you and you know it's a bit of a laugh as well, but actually it kind of works, doesn't it? It you does. Know, it, does yeah. it does chill you out, but it's a bit of a giggle as well. You know, you're sort of looking around to see if anyone and and you know nine times out of ten someone nods off and snoring away next year. It's you know so there's there's an element to when you're at the centres as well. It's a good laugh as well. You know you and and to laugh again is good for the soul. Isn't it? Yeah. It's nice to meet other people from around the country as yeah, well. Yeah, it's not yeah. just not just your station or your brigade. Mm. You meet people from yeah, meet some great people. Yeah, and I'm in contact with a couple from London still, ex-retired people. And because that's the thing, obviously, we're here to talk about Hampshire, um, but your reach is going to be a lot further, isn't it? What what area do you cover as a as a whole? So the charity covers the whole of the UK. So that includes um, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland and the Channel Islands. Um, so also Isle of Wight, Isle of Man, all the Scottish Highlands and Islands. So it's a massive reach. We think we've got over 300,000 beneficiaries wow. if you count all dependents and retired personnel, yeah. etc. And yes, we have three centres. Um, so we have Jubilee House in Penrith, Harcum House in Devon and Marine Court in West Sussex. But actually our reach is broader than those three centres. And I think in a strange sense, COVID has opened up 
a new world for us. Not that I want to see a positive out of COVID, but actually that meant that we accelerated plans to do digital support. So we're now offering digital rehabilitation and digital and telephone counselling as well. Brilliant. It really has changed things this year. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and that will continue because yeah. not everybody needs to come to a centre. You know, Stu and Kevin have talked really passionately about the support they've received, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, not everybody needs to and not everybody can get to a centre. Um, it's great. Hampshire's fab. You can get to Marine Corps, actually get to Harkham in, in quite a good time. But if you are in the Scottish Highlands and Islands, even just getting to Jubilee is a big challenge. Um, so this actually opens up the charity to a lot more individuals. And it's amazing about what type of work we can still do through digital channels. You say it's great to take a positive out of something it, that's been a massive negative for so long. It is, yeah. So Kevin, coming back to you and, and your experiences... Um, so obviously, from a from a physical point of view, what what can you talk us through the process in terms of what you experienced and what was offered to you? So I I got in quite early with the charity, so I knew the operation was booked in. So I put the I put the wheels in motion straight away. Like we said earlier, you don't have to wait to the last minute. Get in there early. Get it if you know you're having an operation. If you know you're physically hurt, get in there, get it booked, and it will get you back to work quicker. And again, I mean that was something that you did you you did off your own back. You contacted them. Yes, I, I, yeah. spoke, I, I spoke to my watch manager at the time and he said, have you thought about a charity? I know I hadn't. Right. He said, get, and then again, he advised me to get it booked in early and cut, cut, your, cut your recovery time down, basically. Uh-huh. And so that's, that's what I've done. And yeah. Can you think why it wouldn't have occurred to you to, do, to contact them? I've never, in my previous work, it's not something I've ever had. I've always had to rely on the NHS. And so doing the job that we do, we're extremely lucky to have that, have that help there. I've never in, in previous employments think I can go. I can afford to go private, or yeah. there's no one out there to help me apart from the NHS. So for, for that reason, I didn't consider it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And when it was mentioned, I, yeah, it would be my first. And I've already recommended it to people now on my watch that have had injuries. I'm already saying, let's get you in the charity early. Yeah. Um, and a couple of them have taken up the charity offer. Cool. And how are you finding things now? Yeah, fine. Yeah, well, I've got, I still do. They they give you a list of exercises to go away with. They don't just they don't just kick you out the doors, so you follow the list of exercises. And um, I have picked up the phone to them a few times since I've left and asked advice, and they change things here and there. It's all going well. Good. It's all going well. Are you still playing football? Oh, no. No, no. No. <laughs> no. Avoiding that one. Not anymore. <laughs> It's an, yeah. age, it's an age thing, mate. Yeah. You've got to know, know, know your limits now. Um, so, I mean, in terms of your experiences, uh, both of you, um, do you find that's, that's pushed you to try and raise money for the firefighters' charity, or were you doing that anyway? I would always get involved in charity events. Um, I'm from a watch, the watch I work on at Cosham, the watch manager's very... Um, does a lot of he's raised thousands and thousands for the charity over the over the years. Um, he's a friend of Stu's as well, so I've always got involved in the charity fundraising events. It's, a, it's just a great way. It's a great way of raising money and awareness. And kind of paying back, I guess, to a degree. <laughs> to a degree, I don't think I'll ever pay him back what they've done for me, but I can I can help. Yeah. Yeah, um, Stu, you've you've done a little bit here and there, I suppose. Yeah, it's a couple of bits. <laughs> um, so yeah, so. Um, 
Adam and I, a colleague, were supposed to be rowing the Atlantic in December, um, but unfortunately injured my back, which was a bit annoying. Although having twins as well has probably not been not ideal. You personally, for, not me personally, no. Not, that's um, not how you beat your back out. So, so we're still planning to do that um, next year. Um, right. So yeah, and hopefully we're trying to raise a hundred thousand pound for um, uh, combined uh, for the Firefighters Charity and Solent Mind. Um, so hopefully um, by putting it back. Um, Although the injury kind of was, it was pretty soul destroying that we had to pull out last year mm. um, when we kind of already raised quite a substantial amount of money. Um, the race organisers have deferred us to next year. So we're in a really good position in that we're fully paid up and actually we can spend the remaining part this year and all of next year raising that charity because we had quite a lot of events planned um, to do that fundraising piece. So yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, it'll uh, all come, all come off. So what would that be the end of 2022? So yeah, December 2022 will set off, yeah. Quite, quite a way. Yeah. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Sharon, we've, we've talked quite a lot about how the charity can can help. And also that just reminding people that you are still there. You are still going. You haven't gone anywhere. No. <laughs> it was amazing. At the start of COVID, our numbers of beneficiaries contacting us dropped significantly. And when we started trying to have conversations with our volunteers, everyone was saying, oh, well, the centres are shut, so we assumed you were shut. Or um, actually, we uh, thought you were too busy, you would be inundated. Now, that did pick up a little bit, but we, it, was, it was a message we need to get across that actually centres are amazing, they're fantastic, and they do some amazing work, but actually the charity is broader than that, and there are so many different ways that we can help people. And if we can't help you, then we will try and link you in with somebody who can. Um, so that might be um, working with other agencies, other charities, etc., that are more specialists to be able to support them. So for the moment, if people do want to keep tabs on what you're doing, is it best to just visit your website? Yeah, the website is definitely up to date with all the information and all the news stories and our um, information around health is shared on the website. Excellent. Thank you. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add, Sharon, before we, before we wrap up? No, I suppose for me, it, it's thanks. It's thanks to people like Stu and Kev. I mean, it's, it's humbling to hear their stories, but also we can't do that without your hard work and the income generation. Um, and that's critical <laughs> to our success. So it's a huge thank you on behalf of the charity for everything you've done. Brilliant. Thank you so much, everyone, for coming in. Sharon, thank you for, for taking time out to chat with us. And Stu and Kevin, thank you so much for, for coming in and opening up and telling us, honestly, about your experiences. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you like what you heard, check out some of our other episodes and please don't forget to subscribe to us on whichever platform you prefer. We really appreciate it. The Firefighters Charity are always grateful for your support. You can find out more about them via the website firefighterscharity.org.uk and they also have their own podcast, which you can find by googling Shout Podcast. Also, check out the Inclusion and Diversity section of the Hampshire and Isle of Wight Fire and Rescue Service website for more information on how we support our firefighters, including trauma management and mental health first aiders. And as always, follow Hampshire and Isle of Wight Fire and Rescue Service on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. See you on the next episode of The Hot Seat.